Well, part of the uh, broken road that brought me to Big Rapids, um, very indirectly, was uh, a, a short stint selling printers at Staples. And this was like when I was like 18 or something, it was my senior year of high school. And I got hired right before the Christmas season, and they said, um, we need someone to be Santa Claus. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know why they picked me, uh, like a beardless 18-year-old kid, so I sat on a really fancy office chair, like with you know a fat suit on and a, and a and a fake beard. And the idea was that like kids coming with their parents to get office supplies would like sit on my lap and tell me what they want for Christmas and stuff. <laughs> and again, this is like my first week working at Staples, and uh, it was pretty awkward to say the least, because no kids are like, that's really Santa. Santa really hangs out in Staples on a Saturday and you know in December. And um, also I was young and. I got done, and the rest of my shift, I had the like imprint of the beard on my face, so I just looked, I just looked weird, and uh, I was, I was kind of, kind of a, a little bit of a, a weirdo at Staples in general. I uh, just like it kind of set the tone, like there's the guy who is Santa. An another Christmas story, if you will. Now, I just want to kind of bring some of the awkwardness of Christmas out into the open. Can we just say like sometimes Christmas gatherings are awkward, and maybe extra if you're like me. It was an ugly sweater party that I went to. <clears throat> And I uh, did what all hipsters do. You go to the thrift store, try to find an ugly Christmas sweater. And, of course, it had been really uh, picked over uh, at this point because I'm a procrastinator about these things. And so all I could find was kind of Christmas, kind of fall-themed woman's cardigan that had some, like, pine cones and, and leaves on it and stuff like that. It was very pilly. It was, it was not nice. It was, you know, it was like a belly, belly sweater or whatever. But I also found... Uh, which I thought was a good idea at the time, a flesh-colored turtleneck, a, like, kind of tight flesh-colored turtleneck, you know, that comes up to here and it looks like my skin. And so I put that on underneath, and then I kind of had this, like, short belly. And I was like, I looked at him and like, wow, this is really bad. I looked in the mirror, like, this is ugly, but this is an ugly sweater party, so this is what I should do, right? <laughs> and I had to work late, so I got to the party late, and, um, and I walk in late, and kind of everybody turns and looks at me, and it was just kind of like, so yeah, as I was saying, like like no one laughed, no one like made a comment. It was like I had like gone over the bell curve of how ugly you're supposed to look at an ug ugly sweater party. Like up to a certain point, it's funny, and then at a certain point, it's just sad. And we we did a vote, and nobody voted for me. Being and clearly, I was the ugliest, and um, maybe it was like the ambiguous nature of my sweater, like not both in gender and holiday. So. Anyways, that, that whole party was pretty awkward, and I'm just telling these awkward stories because today we're talking about being an outsider, talking about when you feel like you don't fit in. You ever been at a party or a place, and you're just like, this is not my space, and you like, I don't, I don't belong here. And uh, as we look at the story of Rahab, I believe that we have an invitation from God uh, to, to us as outsiders. So grab your Bibles, turn to uh, Joshua 2. As you're following along in the Pew Bibles, this is on page 333. We're going to walk through the, the story of Rahab here. And the reason we're doing this, the reason why we're talking about all these obscure Old Testament stories, which, you know, by the way, it's okay if it's making you uncomfortable. Last week we looked at Tamar, uh, Tamar, still not sure how to pronounce that, and, you know, it involves some, oh yeah, stank face from Ashley, super uncomfortable <laughs> story, not a super fun thing to discuss at Connecting Group. 
uh, here we have um, we have the S word in our in, in our sermon text in the name of that town. Uh, so you got to say that in church. Good job, Natalie. And also we have a prostitute. And we're doing we're talking about these awkward, difficult stories because uh, God in His sovereignty and uh, His providence through Matthew, the author of one of the biographies of Jesus, uh, he ordained to bring extra attention to these women in the, in the genealogy, in the family tree of Jesus. And so we want to look at these women and consider why. Why are these women included by name, which is uh, not common in, in family, family trees or family lines to acknowledge the women in this time. And, and one of the reasons we're doing this is that we celebrate Jesus' coming is also we want to just take a, take a time looking at his birth to know that any baby born comes from previous generations. And as a church, we're seeking to gather around this idea of following Jesus together. Uh, we don't just want to be his fans, like agree with him in our brains. You know, we want to actually follow him, like as his apprentices or, or disciples. And, uh, and, we, and we, want to, we want to do it together. Jesus makes it clear that we can't follow him by ourselves. It's not just me and Jesus is enough kind of thing. So we, we have to follow him with other disciples. And so as we celebrate Advent, which is to say, as we celebrate the, the coming, Advent means coming, of our King and Savior, we, we look to Jesus' family tree uh, because that's what you do with people that you're fascinated by or you respect or whatever. Like, you can ask people in this room about obscure college athletes and they will tell you where they went to high school and what their stats were and all this, they know all kinds of stuff about all kinds of people who they respect and admire and and hope in for victory. We talk about celebrities, and we have all kinds of magazines dedicated to the backstory of celebrities. And it's one of the reasons that the, the genealogies, the family trees, is a way of Jesus, of Scripture showing us Jesus more fully. And he's pointing out, God's pointing out through Matthew's biography of Jesus specific details about who gets involved, included in, in God's family. And so there's kind of two two questions I want us to consider as we look at Rahab's story. First is, uh, who is God showing us we are in Rahab's story? Who is God showing us we are through Rahab's story? And then in Rahab's story, how does God show us how he responds to us? See, who we are and how God responds to us as we look at Rahab's story. So Natalie read, read the story for us, and the first thing that we see, look in verse 1, I'm not going to go through it all, just kind of touch on some, some different points as we look at this narrative. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2 on page, this is actually 332. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. He went, so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So in this one verse, we see three ways that Rahab was an outsider. At first, she was a gender outsider. The, the nicest and probably, yeah, the nicest way to say is that in this culture, in this time, uh, it was not a great thing to be a woman. It was not a respected thing to be a woman. Uh, they, they, not only could they not vote, they couldn't testify in a trial, they couldn't inherit property. It's not a great time to be a woman. Women were not really viewed according to teachings of Scripture, which is that uh, they are co-equal with men uh, in 
in, in bearing the image of God, being valuable as humans, and all that kind of thing. Uh, so r right from the get-go, we see that, in general, you would feel a little bit like an outsider uh, as a woman in this culture. And what we see in this gender deal uh, is something that, you know, you just can't control. Could Rahab control the gender she was born as, the time that she was born in? No. So we see that sometimes the, what, the cards we've been dealt makes us an outsider. The next way she was an outsider was she was a racial outsider. Rahab was a Canaanite woman, which was, in the lens of scripture, not a great racial identity to have. A little backstory of where we are in the, in the story of God's people in the Old Testament, they had just pretty much got done walking around in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. They got out of slavery, and then they just wandered in the desert for 40 years. God had promised to bring them into their, to the land flowing with milk and honey, this land that was going to be their place where they belonged, where they had all their needs met, and they could live uh, in unity with God. Um, and so they finally get through the 40 years of wandering. It's this new generation. They're about to enter into the promised land. And the promised land was Canaan, was full of Canaanites. And Canaanites were not great people. They were very wicked. They were into uh, all kinds of idolatry that involved sacrificing humans and a very, a very pagan people that was very contrary to God and his way of life and the way he called his people to live. And so we see, all, we see a second way is that her race kind of set her uh, over and against God's people, that she would have been unclean, that she would have been not allowed to go to church in, in, in Israelite civilization. This is the, the first outsider to join Israel, the first convert, if you will, into God's people from someone outside this certain ethnicity. And she, she was able to kind of join in some part, but we see not fully be brought into God's people until later. She was just simply and objectively other. She did not belong. And then the third way that Rahab was an outsider was that she was a moral outsider. What was her line of work? Prostitution. I was thinking about this Prostitution is, you know, one of the just most objectifying, you know, things that you can do to a human where you take a person who is a, a who and you make them a what and you, you use them when you need them or want them and then you just ignore them when you don't. And, you know, I have a snow shovel that sits in my shed 11 months of the year and comes out a few times a year when I need to shovel snow. And that's okay because it's a snow shovel. It's not an image bearer of God. But that's, that's how Rahab was treated. She was completely ignored, probably even scorned when she wasn't wanted or needed by whoever used her services. She could be used or scorned depending on what the need is. One of the, the tragedies towards, towards this kind of thing, this, this sexual uh, brokenness in our society is, is that broken people are both uh, abhorred by it and also drawn to it. And it can, it can kind of play different needs like that. And I want us to just maybe pause for, for a, a minute and consider both the oppression, the suffering, the injustice of Rahab, and the sin of Rahab. And I, and I hope that we could just begin to consider both of those things of Rahab's outsider situation. 
So I think when it when it comes to things like prostitution or pornography, these these kind of industries really that are morally wrong that we as Christians would say that is destructive it leads to death it hurts everyone involved depending on where you fall on maybe the political or ethical spectrum or whatever you can you can kind of fall to one of two two errors or extremes if you will if you're on kind of the more conservative moral side then you would you would look at prostitutes people involved in pornography and see them only as, only as sinners, only as, as people who uh, are hopeless, who are wicked and, and maniacal and trying to destroy America and the, the family as we know it. And if you fall maybe on a little bit more of the uh, social justice side or wh- whatever these terms, I'm scared to use them because they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You can see them only as oppressed, only as people who need to be liberated. If they had better circumstances, then they, they, they wouldn't do that. So they're not really guilty. But we see in Scripture that all humans are both sinners and sufferers. So we don't, we don't know what happened to cause Rahab to enter a life of prostitution. But we can bet that both sin and oppression was involved. That both her sin and whatever, whatever it was... Led her to that, and also probably oppression. I imagine if she had other options, she probably would have taken them. Was she orphaned? Was 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 were things taken from her? Was she abducted from another family? All kinds of things can go into that. So I just want us to consider Rahab being an outsider, being stuck in this place where she is a sinner, where she is living in sin and in a lifestyle that is awful and destroys anyone involved with it. Uh, but also probably someone who's deeply, deeply hurt, deeply oppressed, deeply stuck in an in injustice. So Rahab is our outsider, three times over. And I just want us to consider this idea of being an outsider. Can you relate to any of that? Have you ever felt like an outsider, not good enough, hopelessly flawed, not able to, to fit in? Because we see outsiders in Jesus' family tree. And we were all uh, pretty white in this room and all that, so I realized that we don't have a whole lot of diversity. So maybe this whole idea of being an outsider is new to us. Maybe you feel okay about everything. You're a white, middle-class male, or you're just like, what are you talking about being an outcast? But I, I want us to consider this because we see in Jesus' family tree is that outcasts are included. We see in Rahab that the, this person who by all, for all intents, intents and purposes should have nothing to do with God or his people, should have definitely nothing to do with Jesus. But she was someone who was fed up with her current situation. She didn't fit in in her world, in her, in her life, and she was looking for a way out. And we see this is a pattern. This is a, this is a way, of, a mark of people who enter God's family, people who are outsiders, people who feel this, this discontentment, this not-okayness with their lives and a, and a desire for something else, a different life. In Rahab, we see that, uh, that people in Jesus' family, who we are, people who are, don't fit in, who are outsiders, 
and need, need a change. The second thing we see in Rahab is that <clears throat> Rahab believed the true story when she heard it. If we can't just use our imaginations for a minute, she feels alone, scor- both scorned and used. She feels dirty. She feels hopelessly stuck in this life that she's in in Jericho. It's not super hard to wonder why she would hide the spies and help them escape. Her normal, her home base wasn't safe. It wasn't, it wasn't okay. And this is just such an incredible moment in scripture. If you look in verses 8 through 13, look what Rahab says to the spies. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen over us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. I want, us, I want us to see just the simple but very profound faith and trust that, that Rahab has. Like She didn't get a Bible. She didn't hear the full deal of who God is and how he operates. He, she heard some facts about who he is and what he has done. And look at her confession. In verse 11, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So in this not fully formed theology, she heard truth about what God, who God is and what he's done through his people, and then she acted on it. She staked her life on it. What do you think a wicked pagan people would do to a prostitute who committed treason? And look at the incredible comparison. She's, this, this woman is woke. She's like looking around and, and seeing what's going on. Because she said, when we heard all this stuff, again, verse, look at the first part of verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. So she's looking around at her, at her home team and just seeing a bunch of scared, wicked people. And then through the stories that she heard from uh, who God is, she saw a big, powerful God who was present to his people, who worked for them and through them. What does this show us about, about who we are? If we're letting, uh, letting Scripture form us, let Scripture inform how we view our lives rather than the other way around. It shows us that like Rahab, we need help from the outside. Like Rahab, we, we can't be true to ourselves or live our truth or read some health, self-help books and fix ourselves. Like Rahab, we are outsiders who need outside help.
is just staggering that the people in Jesus' family tree are not the winners, are not the elite. Even King David, who's pretty legit, man after God's own heart, was a terrible person, a terrible husband and father, committed murder and adultery. Like even the, the winner, if you will, uh, is pretty unlovable. Those of us who call Jesus Lord, who call themselves Christians, we see that Rahab story is our story and that we're outsiders who need outside help. For some of us, by the mercy of God, that might seem obvious. It might be easy to admit, yeah, of course, I know I need help. But I think to a lot of us, we are entrenched in a culture where needing help is a sin. Stating your needs, stating that you can't do it on your own is a sin. We get mad at people when, when they ask for stuff that we can't do. Why? Because we're at the end of our rope, and that's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be competent and wise and on top of our lives by ourselves all the time. But again, we want to let Rahab's story, this, this, the way of Scripture, shape our lives and form how we view our story. So are, are you willing to consider that this might be your story? That underneath all our busyness, our social media addiction, our inability to stop getting stuff done and just be still, our food addiction, could there be this, this unacknowledged sense that we're outsiders and instead of looking to the, the, the one true God for rescue, for help, for comfort, we're looking to all these other things. What seems like it's in our control when we control how we eat and how we live and how we work and how our homes are, what seems like us is really us looking for other stuff to be the help that only God can be. Maybe it's not true. I just want Rahab's story to ask the question of our lives. Is there an element of us being an outsider that we haven't considered? And is that causing us to look for help in other places other than God. So how does God respond to us? He responds to us as outsiders who need outside help with Christmas, with Jesus. Jesus sent as a baby from the outside. And Jesus came as a baby as an outsider. Literally, like born outside, like in a barn, laid in a place where cows eat their food. He is our outside help, and in the fact of his birth, in the fact of his life on the earth, in the fact of his death and resurrection, God's showing us that he is what we're longing for, that the stories are true. Rahab had heard stories of who God is and what he's like and we see in Jesus that they are true and the beautiful thing about Jesus this is just the staggering miracle of being a Christian of what following Jesus makes following Jesus different than all other uh, religions or spiritualities or way of living is because he doesn't just get us out we see Rahab and her getting out of Jericho and joining Israel uh, to some degree as uh, is kind of like a precursor, like a hint of the true re redemption and salvation. Because he, as he came as a baby, he didn't come just to change our circumstances, because eventually he'll take our place 
for our sin. He'll take our place for the, the suffering that we've experienced at the hands of other people's sin and the sin that we've done, making us guilty. He'll absorb our sin and our shame. He'll become the outsider through, so that through him we're made new. All the things that make us outsiders, all the things that keep us unclean and buried in shame are, are, aren't just like tolerated or not talked about. We just find a crew that won't talk about the ugly stuff. It's actually taken away and redeemed. We're made new. In Christ, we don't just get a changed circumstance. We, get, we become a new creation. And we see this real clearly in Rahab's story. Flip over the page to uh, chapter 6. Joshua 6, <clears throat> verse 22 and 23. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp. So do you see the incompleteness of that? It's like, yay, you didn't die, but also go over there and don't, and don't come too close because you're still an outsider. Like you're saved, but it's, it's, it's incomplete. And God responds by sending us a baby that becomes an outsider for us. Let me just read to you Hebrews 13 here. This connection, the language is just staggering. You can flip there if you want, Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. Rahab gets saved in part as this kind of hint of this salvation coming for us. And then look at, look at this completion. Hebrews 13, verses uh, 12 through 14. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. You ready for this? Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. If I was a better preacher, I could make this super clear, but I'm just so excited about it that my words are getting choked in. Do you see how Rahab was looking for a better city and she was outside the camp in her incomplete redemption? And now we have Jesus finishing the redemption that Rahab's story hints at for all of us. And so we go to him. We, go, we leave like Rahab. We leave Jericho and where, where we don't fit in. And we go to Jesus looking for something better. We don't have an enduring city, but we look for the city that is to come. The city uh, of the new Jerusalem where Jesus is king and everything is at, as it should be. And where every outsider is now an insider. By the blood of Jesus. I know we're all super busy, so these Advent sermons, I try just to be like, consider and think rather than, you know, let's do a bunch of stuff because we're all doing too much as it is. So here's something to think about. My, my guess is that there's probably two groups of people here. I pray to God that, 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 there's, that there's two groups of people here. And that just to consider where you would fall. You might not be fully in one of these groups, but which, which one would you lean to? 
Because the first group might be, the, or I think, are the people, those of us who know all too well how much of an outsider we, we are. We haven't felt like we belong ever. Like we felt like an outsider in our own families that we were born in. We feel hopeless in that. We don't know where belonging happens, and we're tired of all the things we've gone to to try to belong or feel okay about being an outsider. If that's you, praise God. That's, that's a sign of mercy to come to the end of ourselves and see that there's no, no place that we truly belong except in Christ. And if you feel that place, there's no place, you're in that place and you feel that. There's no place I truly belong but the idea of belonging in Christ is totally foreign to you, then just ask God to make that clear to you. Create some time this week to ask God to make that clear to you. The second group are, might be some of us who just have no idea what we're talking about with being an outsider. I mean, thinking, not me. I, I work hard. My house is paid off. My life is set up. I'm okay. I don't need help from anyone. God, I, I mean, I need God to save me. I need him to get me out of hell free. But now I will live my own way. I'm going to pursue my security from my money. I'm going to get my meaning from my kids and my comfort from my food and my approval from my job. Just be careful. Just consider that. Hear the story of Rahab as a warning call that all the winners in Jericho, all the established landowners and wealthy people and politicians and powerful people in Jericho, the walls came tumbling down on them. And it was this pathetic three times over outsider that has now entered into the family of God, mentioned by name in the genealogy of Jesus. She doesn't go down as in, down in history as a prostitute. She goes down as a mother of Jesus, of the God of the universe. For those, those of us who will acknowledge the shame, acknowledge our not rightness instead of give our resumes that, of all the things we've done to try to make ourselves right. There's belonging in Jesus. And that's the only way to, to belong. Love comes in and makes us new, makes us the truest version of ourselves that truly belong without shame. Make, take someone like Rahab, perhaps one of the lowest of the low people, now belong in the family of Jesus. And that's the invitation that Rahab's story has for us. Let me pray.